Sean Dustin spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. Upon release in 2006, he had nothing but the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and legal paperwork. In 2010, he kicked a longtime methamphetamine habit and started the long climb back up the ladder of life. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. If you want transparency and authenticity, you're in the right place. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and this is Sean Dustin. What's up? This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and I am your host, Sean Dustin. Today, got a really special guest that it really it kind of ties into, you know, my passion and, uh, you know, the, the community that I came from, uh, which is the correctional uh, uh, system. And today I'm talking to DJ Vodica, who was a former, uh, former, uh, heavily decorated veteran officer of the California Department of Corrections. He is the author of a book called The Green Wall. I had never heard of this book yet until uh, I ran across uh, DJ in a, in a kind of like a mastermind sort of group. Or, or actually, that one wasn't a mastermind group. It was uh, just one of these Facebook groups or Zoom chats that I, I drop in from time to time. And uh yeah, I mean, I was really super stoked to, that I ran across DJ. Um, he was a whistleblower. Uh, the Green Wall is kind of like a real-life drama of one man's courage to do the right thing against the California state prison system. It's basically a, a, a gang of correctional officers that basically had each other's back. I, at least that's what I I gather. But let's let DJ tell us, man. How are you, buddy? Good, Sean. Thanks for having me on your uh, podcast this afternoon. Um, I started the Department of Corrections in March of 1988 after I uh, left the United, United States Army. I was uh, stationed at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. I grew up in Camarillo, California, and then uh, shortly after I got home, I, I uh, went into the Department of Corrections in the Academy in 1988. And my first duty assignment was Corcoran State Prison, which is in the Central Valley. I activated that prison I spent about four years there, and in 1992, I went down to activate another prison in the lower uh, desert area near Palm Springs. Uh, it's called Calipatria State Prison. I went down there for about two years. I landed a job on the uh, investigative services unit, which is ISU or the Goon Squad. I became the evidence officer for that prison for two years, and I met my uh, my first wife down there, and, uh, and she didn't really like the area. I didn't like the desert anymore. And, she goes, let's transfer up Northern California. I said, okay, I, I have a buddy up in Northern California. And so in 1994, I transferred to Pelican Bay State Prison, uh, which I ended up there for two years as the evidence officer up there. Again, I went back right into ISU, came your evidence officer to clean up all the evidence and all the uh, stuff that had going on. And then my wife, uh, my wife didn't really like the area because it was raining all the time and it was gloomy and all that. So she goes, I want, I want out of here. I want out of here. There's, and I said, well, there's another prison opening up. I could probably put in for that and see if I can get that. And 
sure enough, in 1996, I applied for Salinas Valley State Prison in Soledad, California. I ended up getting transferred down there and ended up uh, setting up their ISU unit and right into the evidence officer and, and, and setting up that whole unit. And shortly after that, I, um, I went onto the line in 1998. I got burned out on the ISU doing six years of straight time as an investigative service unit. Uh, I went on the line. So in November of uh, 1998, I went onto the line on uh, one of the yards on D yard, which is a level four 180 yard. On Thanksgiving day, I was working that day and there was a, uh, a staff assaults by Southern Hispanic inmates on the uh, upper yard, they attacked staff and I had to respond to that yard. And the Lieutenant on that yard at the time was uh, a good friend of mine. He was a Pelican Bay and he asked me to go grab the evidence camera start taking all the crime scenes and all that. And so I did. And, and then uh, I set up my own little uh, evidence uh, room in the hobby shop. And I told all the, the prison guards that were working that day, part of the green wall, you bring your, bring the inmates in restraints to me. I want to photograph them. Well, they all turned and looked at me and said, what are you, an inmate lover? Are you a rat You're working with these guys? Why are you doing this? I said, because I want to make sure they don't have injuries on them prior to going back into their cell. So it sort of protect us. Well, two two months later, I get a uh, I get a subpoena to to go to uh, an internal affairs uh, hearing. Uh, they wanted to know all my knowledge and all the pictures I took. So I ended up going down to the uh, the interview room on, on the prison grounds, and uh, the union rep was standing right by the door. And he goes, "Hey, I'm going to go in with you." And I turned that. I was like, "I don't need your representation. I, I, I didn't do nothing wrong. I'm going in and sitting this by myself." He goes, "No, no, I'm going in with you." I said, "No, you're not." It's my right if I want you to come in and sit on this area. He got a little upset because before that, I was already labeled a rat and a snitch. You know, I mean, why do I need a union rep to go in there and hear everything I'm saying so he can report back to his higher powers? So I ended up going there. I spent about four hours in there with the IA and uh, showed them everything. And they were st stunned about all the photographs I took prior to their injuries because a lot of these inmates were were physically tuned up after I photographed them. They were escorted back to their cells and these guys on the green wall tuned them up, broke their property and all that. And that's how the green wall started. It started with a small group there and it just grew in the next couple of years. Yeah. As a, uh... Somebody who's spent time and and actually you know when they come in a lot of the times it, you you never even know it's it's almost like when you're like shock and awe sometimes in a unit you know they they try to come you know uh, almost as stealth as they can as as, as stealthy as they they can uh, considering the close confinements and everything else and when they do come it's like it's usually everybody's asleep or it's early morning or and it's your your shit gets ransacked man and it's like you may not even have done anything wrong you're just the, just the fact that you're in prison is enough uh you know they go through your stuff they throw your shit all around they break your stuff um and if you and if you say anything or if you have an attitude or anything you know what i mean it's like uh, that's even twice as bad so um you know that's uh that's not a very popular position uh t that you were in um you know and and most would just think that that would just be look man i mean these guys got it bad enough as it is i mean you're housing misery first of all and you are warehousing it 
and then and then on top of that, you want to add insult to injury and just make the time even worse. Like why, 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 why? It just doesn't make sense. And I've always thought, like I've have I have a I had an uncle who worked at San Quentin, and my whole my whole we talked about it, my whole dad's side of my family is law enforcement, and. I just couldn't understand because he always tried to get me to, hey, you, you need to go get a job as a as a CO or something like that. They make great money and get on lists. Get on lists. That's what you need to do. You know, Get on every list that you possibly can. At some point, they're going to call. And uh, I was just like, I just didn't, and that wasn't appealing to me. I, I just didn't, I didn't want to have anything to do with that. And then once I went to prison, I was like, yeah, I mean, it takes a certain kind of person to, to even just want to be there because you're doing time too. Just because you get to go home doesn't mean that it, that all that goes away. I mean, all the shit they talk to you, all having to like always be on alert. I mean, that's PTSD stuff, you know. Yeah, I was uh, like you know like sixteen years, Sean. I mean, there were times I I pulled double shifts in the prison. I mean, I I was there sixteen hours a day, probably three or four times a week, and sixteen years straight, three hundred three hundred sixty five days a year. I mean. You're right. I mean, we're doing time just like you guys, but we're, we're going home, you know, and uh, the whole thing behind this green wall thing, they had the, they had the powers by the warden, you know, later on, the warden controlled this group of the green wall members. Uh, he, he, he wanted to take control of the prison, especially after the Thanksgiving riot when the Southern Hispanics attacked staff. He, he, he didn't want this. He said, you know what, this ain't going to happen at my prison. So uh, yeah, shortly after that, it, it started a, you know, domino effect on all the yards. All the officers were starting to form, you know, be a part of this green wall. The, the green wall members came out of the investigative services in ISU. These guys were, they, these were the head honchos. These guys were the starting up with a, these guys were my size, six, five, 300 pounds, big guys, you know, and, and when the ISU or the goon squad hit the yard, the whole yard got quiet. I don't know if you, you know, where you were at, but these guys walked on the yard. Everybody just stops and stares what they're doing. You know, everybody wants to know where they're going. And they had certain certain convicts that they would target and they'd actually go up in some of their cells and plant inmate manufacture weapons in their cells and give them more time. Yeah, I mean that's uh I remember one of the things that my uncle used to say is that because I would I would always ask him, um, you know, before he died, I, I, when I was younger, I'd be like, "What's what's it like in there?" Is it, you know, as a kid, you know, you, you you work in a prison and you know just asking the regular questions and he was like you know the the reason why i don't i'm not like because he had explained the different types of of people that work there and he's like the reason why i'm not like that and i don't do that is because if i do something to disrespect some of these people i mean never nevertheless that they're doing time and, and their situation's horrible as it is but if i'm doing anything to to harass them or to make them their, their stay any harder or or disrespect them in any kind of way he's like not only am i putting myself at risk from attack from them but i'm putting my whole my all the officers at, uh, at risk because it's you know it doesn't matter at the end of the day yeah there may be south siders there may be bgf there may be the uh ab all of these different groups yes they have their own their own politics and their own uh, uh hierarchy and structure inside but at any given time you it's it's everybody's always going to be against you that's correct it's us, you know, we, they had that mentality. It's us against them. It's us in the green against the blue. And, you know, and, and 
they dislike us because we have, we wear that badge and, you know, that patch over our shoulder, that badge. And it, it's a big influence to them. And, and it's all about respect. You know, in my whole time, my 16 years I was in, Sean, I got disrespected one time, you know, but majority of the time, the convicts and inmates, they, they really uh, liked me and talked to me. And especially when I was at, in corporate, I was a shoe kitchen officer. I was in charge of feeding 2000 inmates in a lockup unit. And I had an inmate crew of about 20 or 25 guys, you know, and, all of them wanted to work for me. I mean, me and my partner, uh, Officer Gonzalez. And, I mean, we had a waiting list. People wanted to come work with us because we took care of our crew. You know, we we fed them good. We got with our property. We, we we respected each other. We got the job done, and that's how it should be. Even though you know the court sentenced you know you guys and to put you, we're there to watch over you guys and, and to make sure you guys are you know doing your time securely and all that. We're not we're not there to punish punish you. But these guys on the green wall. They took it upon themselves with the backing of this warden and uh, gave them the green light to put fear and intimidation to any inmates at Salinas Valley State Prison and said, well, you have my backing. You guys do what you got to do to make it right. Yeah, it, it comes down to the culture, the culture of any any organization, um, uh, company, corporation. You know, it's the the culture of of the company or you know the situation is really what drives everything. And you know, you can say that. Like I was talking to a, a an attorney out of uh, I think it was San Antonio or no, it was uh, New Mexico. And we were talking about the judicial system and, you know, some of the conspiracy laws and, you know, the, the, the things that happen uh, within uh, that specific arena. And he goes, you know, a lot of it is just culture. You know, people think that, you know, there's a lot of nefarious stuff that goes on, but it's just the win culture, win at all cost. you know. And mm-hmm. a lot of the times, it, you know, you just don't even realize that, that, you know, stuff's happening, but it's just, you know byproducts of, 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 you know, culture. Yeah. These guys, and shortly after, you know, I, um, the culture, yeah. So as soon as I did all I did and about a year later, a year and a half later, one of the uh, supervisors on the squad was promoting the Lieutenant, one of those ISU sergeant Lieutenant. Well, these guys on the green wall members went out and got a buck knife, a green buck knife, a green handle engraved on the blade. Congratulations to your promotion from the 723. The seventh letter of the alphabet is G. The twenty-third is W. They call themselves the seven twenty-three or the GW. And they would actually throw up a sign like that, looks like a W, and they'd throw it on their chest as a, as a gang sign. And these guys use that every time they did cell extractions. They threw that gang sign up on their vest and all that. And they were identified that way, and they had tattoos, and, and uh, some of them had tattoos on their bodies, and they all wore green. They all after the Thanksgiving riot. They wore tor- turkey pins on their on their jumpsuits, identifying that riot that we won that riot. Wow, I mean, but I can see it. I can see why. I mean, you know, they've got their gangs, we've got ours, you know, um, some of the things, I mean, and even now when you look at the stuff that, you know, like some police officers, you know, have to deal with and I'm not like, uh, I'm not pro defund the police. I'm, you know, as somebody who's been behind the wall and no, 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 that's a dumb idea. (laughs) Defunding the police is a a horrible idea, but we don't Uh, need to defund them either. I'm definitely not for that. But we need to train them better. Um, we need to pour more funds into training and better, better, uh, 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 like more regular training. I mean, uh, Jocko uh, uh, was on. Uh, 
he's the uh, the Navy SEAL commander. He was on the Joe Rogan show, and he said, you know, we for one mission we usually train for six months, and that's just one mission. Six months, all you know constantly he's like these guys are coming up against sometimes the same situations and scenarios that we are but not to the extent but i mean the same kind of uh you know you have to think under pressure you don't know whether or not you're going to get shot you know all of those those type of things heighten all your senses and you know a lot of times these guys they're just not prepared they're 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 uh they're scared the fear takes over and they just oh boom, boom, boom and that's it you know, and, and there's not much you can do. So, I mean, I'm definitely not for defunding. I'm, I'm, I'm for, uh, uh, you know, better training and, uh, a little bit more, uh, uh, understanding and compassion and, and, and stuff like that with, uh, so Corcoran, what I know about Corcoran is there was a lot of lockups done in Corcoran. Yeah. Well, when I was down there, March of 1988 to 92. Uh, I don't know if you've heard about it, but uh, back then they had the, the officers betting on inmates to come off the yard dead or alive. They were actually betting what they called gladiator fights. And when I was down there, that actually happened. There was an officer and a sergeant that went to the FBI and told the FBI what was going on. The FBI investigated. And they actually made a movie out of it. It's called Felon. And so with Val Kilmer in it, it's based on a true story. And, and it came out on DVD about eight years ago. It's a good movie. I watched it. It's, it's, I worked there, so and I know the officer who blew, blew the whistle, and, and and he's dead on. That movie's dead on. What happened? You know. And the other thing is, is, is uh, Corcoran was a shoe, a lockup, one of the biggest shoes in, in the state of California back in 1980. Pelican Bay wasn't even built yet; it was getting built. And that, that opened up in 1989 or 1990. But the one thing that really bothered me, Sean, and, and it really hurts to this day, and you know. I paid union dues for 16 years, you know, 16 years to the, the powerful union CCPOA in the state of California. And uh, after I uh, got uh, transferred overnight to another prison, um, uh, you know, which all this stuff, I had to go to another prison because all this stuff about Salinas. I approached the union chapter president who was down there on a meeting. And I walked up to him and I said, hey, Mike, uh, I'm Officer Vodica. I said, and I've been trying to get a hold of you for several days, several weeks. And he looked at me and goes, he looked at my nameplate and he goes, oh, you're Officer Vodica. I said, yeah, I'm Officer Vodica. Are you going to help me? He goes, no, we've been advised not to talk to you by our higher, our legal counsel. And he walked away from me. He walked away from an officer that paid 16 years of union dues, wouldn't have a, a day to talk to me about what's going on. And, you know, that's just like, why? They're supposed to protect me, not the dirty cops. And that's who they they protected. They protected the dirty green law members. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of par for the course. I mean, I'm like we talked about, I'm a union member and, uh, you know, I'm not, I, I kind of feel the same way about my own union. You know, I put in a lot of time. I put in a lot of effort, um, to, to do the right things and, and, you know, be a good union member, you know? And, uh, it just, I felt like, you know, they just, they don't care, man. The, it's, it's not about, you know, the merits and of what you've done. It's about who likes you and, you know, how popular you are, especially when it goes to getting, you know, 
promoting through the ranks of the union, being a business agent and all of that. So it, it really turned, it, it put a, it put a really sour taste in my mouth to where I, I just like, you know what? I don't, I don't even want to have nothing to do with this. You know, I've given you enough of my time and the thanks that I got was pretty much, you know, a fuck you. And, uh, you know, we could care less about how, how much you care about this local. So yeah. yeah just, you know what? Shortly, shortly after I uh, went in front of my commanders at, at the prison, uh, there was an incident over there that that I was set up, and uh, it was uh, it was my last day on the yard, and and, uh, and I had enough. You know, my I called my attorney and said, "You're done. Just just get out of there, and we'll take this to a higher level." And sure enough, in, in 2004, January 21st, 2004, I was in, they were uh, Senator Spear, Senator Gloria Romero, and, and a couple other senators were holding a government oversight hearing against the Department of Corrections. They want to get to the bottom of why all this stuff is happening with the Department of Corrections and all this code of silence and everything like that. So they subpoenaed me to the uh, um, state capitol when Arnold Schwarzenegger was the governor. And I ended up going. I had highway patrol flanked on each side of me for my protection. Because, you know, I was, I, was a, I was a dead man walking type of guy. I mean, anybody on the officer side, if they had to take me out, they'd take me out if they could. So I walked into the, uh, the state capitol, the big, they call it the big Burton room. It's the biggest arena in there. I walked in there, the double doors opened up. I mean, the double doors were 20 feet high. As soon as I walked in, it was a packed, packed audience auditorium. They were standing on the wall. The senators called me down. I rose my right hand. I, I testified. And, and the one senator, Senator Jackie Spear, held up the LA Times. And he said, she said, what you're going to hear today is the most atrocious story I've ever heard in my whole career. This officer, Officer Vodka, blew the whistle on a group of guards who called the Green Wall. This should not happen in the Department of Corrections. People like him need to be protected. I testified for two hours in the, in the Senate hearings in front of a packed house and in front of the Secretary of Corrections and my commandments, the union. And, and uh, shortly after that, they moved me off the grid. I had to, at night, I had to go on hiding for six months off the grid in Northern California until I started my civil proceedings with the Department of Corrections. Wow. Yeah, that's uh that's 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 crazy, man. I mean, you you just wouldn't think that that that, that would be a thing, you know? And uh in it, it, uh, like at work, you know, it's like it's your job. Uh somebody told me this in in my you know, in my in my local too. They go, "Well, you know, you just got to play the game." And I'm like, "Game? What game? This is this is like my livelihood. There's no game. I just want to go to work, get paid and come home. That's it." You know why is all this other other stuff necessary? You know, but it cost me it cost me a marriage. You know, I was married to a lady that I thought would back me, and she didn't like what's going on. Too much stress for her, and then uh, it cost me a marriage, and I had to fight this on my own. And the only people I had backing me was uh, was a guy that Joe Renoso, special agent. He's in the book, and we're friends to this day. And, and my lawyer, my mom and dad, and my son. My son didn't really know what was going on. He was five years old at the time. And that's all I had in my life, you know. All, uh, friends that I thought were friends in the Department of Corrections turned their back on me. Wouldn't have nothing to do with me. Yeah, that's tough, man. So since you uh, wrote the book, and it's obviously it's out, um, how well has it been received? Yeah, here's the, here's the, here's the book, Sean. This is, this is actually the book. Can you see the book? Yeah, I see it. I see it. And I see that it's also on uh, on Audible as well, right? You can get it in uh, – in, uh, well, I, I th- you, you can put, 
um, I, on my on my publishing website, it doesn't show audio, but if you somebody can get audio, that's great. But it's on a you can get it on Amazon.com or Barnes and Noble or, or through iUniverse because I I self uh, self published the book in 2009, and look what we're 11 years out, and all of a sudden the book is just like take like wildfire. Everybody's reaching out because so much this uh, criminal justice reform and prison reform is going on. And, now they're reaching out to me to, they want to know everything about this story because it wasn't a big deal back in 2009 and 2010. None of this is going on. Now it's going on and everybody wants to know it. Everything in the book, Sean, everything in this book is true story. I mean, there's physical evidence in there. There's names, there's inspector general's report, corrective action plan, deposition testimony. And I've, the book's been out 11 years, never been challenged on it. I mean, who's going to challenge on me? Because I got all the evidence to back it. And my lawyer knows it too. So um, it's a powerful story. And the thing is, a really bad, who really made me write this story? And it was it's sort of touching for me a little bit. Um, I had to come out of hiding to bury my father. His last words to me were, uh, son, you need to write this book. Share it with, with me and your mom are proud of you. And, and we want you to write this book. Just take your time and, and share it with the world, share it with the media, share it with whoever wants to listen. And that was his last words to me before he died. I was in the room when he, he, when he took his last breath. So he encouraged me. It was a big influence for me to write the book. I would have never wrote the book. Wow. That's yeah, that is powerful, man. And it's a good thing that you did. And it's weird how things like that happen, huh? How it's the, the, you know, it, everything is like, like kind of like a five to 10 year uh, buffer, you know, before, like even with podcasting, I mean, it, it takes about five years before you really start building traction as a, uh, as a show that is not popular and starts from scratch. Um, and sometimes even longer than that it just depends on, you know, your guests and your, uh, and well, your you know, content. Sure, like I, yeah, Sean, you're, you're, I, I'm so proud that you got me on this show today because you're the second per podcast I've done in the state of California. I mean, I've done a lot of podcasts. I've, I just did a podcast a couple weeks ago in Australia. They found out about my book in Australia. I did a po two podcasts already in the UK. I've done a podcast in Germany. I mean, the, in Canada, a couple of people in Canada want me to share this story. And you know what? I, I would like to really sink this in California because that's where it's actually happening. I mean, the Green Wall is still an active game. It's happening at RJD and Donovan the State Prison as we speak. I, you know what, I, you, you hooked up with the right guy. Cause I just recently hooked up with some, uh, with a group that's, I mean, they're, it's a Cal exit group. So it's like, they want to exit the union and, you know, secede from, from the union. Um, but there's a lot, they have a lot of activism and stuff like that. That's going down South, uh, with BLM, but not the, not the BLM that we're talking about, uh, like the, uh, the, the, the big the big blm organization it's more of like an offshoot um so yeah if you if you want i can definitely uh, uh hook you into one of those zoom meetings and yeah i like you know like i like i like to, you to come in with me and be yeah. a guest you know i'll be side by side with you and because you found me i found you on this and and you like i said you're the second podcast host that's ever hosted this powerful story yeah, definitely, man. I can I can definitely assist in getting you on other shows uh, in California and, and other and other podcasters. Uh, you know what I may do? Honestly, I have a spot because I'm 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 a, a founder of a virtual uh, podcast summit that's coming up, and I have a half hour uh, slot that I need to fill. 
So that'd be perfect. It'd be able to get you uh, exposure with a bunch of different. I mean, there's going to be speakers and all kinds of stuff. So I mean, there, the, the the viewership on it should be pretty pretty high. So, and that would I'll get with you, but yeah, do that. You'd be perfect for that. And, and do me a favor, Sean. I, I don't want you to order a book. I, when we get done off to this podcast, I need you to email me your uh, home address or whatever, and I want to uh, get a signed autograph book and send it to you so you can really really read this book because. You might want to have me come back and do another interview because this stuff in here. Yeah, for sure. I'll definitely read it. It'll blow your mind. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely. I'm down for that. I'll, I'll definitely read it. Um, it's it's stuff that I, I I definitely am into. You want to know what's funny? When uh, when I was down. I read over 300 books in like three years, right? I was reading all kinds of stuff, like a lot of John Grisham and, and court courtroom dramas and stuff like that. That's what I was kind of into. And, uh, you know, when you get, when I got out, it just, I stopped reading altogether. And I, and I, I'm not one that's, uh, I don't think I'm, I'm alone in that. It's just, you know, life gets to be what it is and, it, and it's really difficult to sit down and, and, uh, and, and do that. But I definitely want to read that one. Um, question that I have. So I'm involved in like a lot of reentry stuff, right? And as somebody who has as much experience as you do in the system and, and seeing like how guys, how guys come in and, uh, you know, and probably, watch them to when they leave like there you you know some people that were you've being in the kitchen you witness you know people changing their attitudes changing and stuff like that um one of the things that i experienced and and i think this is i think it goes across the board for most guys that go in there uh because not a lot of rehabilitation happens in the prison system other than what you do for yourself you know right is the outside always ends up looking better, right? You you go in there, you start exercising, you're, you're eating better. I mean, well, as good as you can, depending. Um, but when you get out, you look great. You feel great. You know, the drugs are gone. All this other stuff is 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 uh, is going good for you. You've got a good outlook. Maybe you got some people, you know, that are in your corner, you know, there to support you when you get out. But nothing on the inside has ever been worked on that whole time. The behavior, the the types of behaviors that got you in there, um, because you still have to, you still have to carry that sort of criminality in there because that's what helps you survive, right? Exactly. Yeah. You. I mean, everybody, all, all the convicts doesn't matter what race you have, they all have a code. You know, I mean, they all have a code, and and you don't you don't discuss that code with any race, or especially the prison guards. You don't allow them. You don't you don't do that. Yeah, their their mentality is they. They want to do their time and get out and, and go back home and, 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 you know, and to survive. But yeah, it's, you know, they, they have, they have to listen to us. We tell them what to do. We tell them when to go to the bathroom. We tell them when to walk to chow. You know, if they don't want to comply, then we'll lock them up. You know, and they don't want to be locked up. But as far as like the recid- the recidivism and why it, it's so high, if, if, if the numbers are, are true and correct, um, the behavior doesn't get dealt with. You know what I mean? The behavior that got you there rarely ever gets dealt with. You know, the, 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 the stuff, the traumas and stuff that, that happened to create all those behaviors to begin with never get addressed while you're in prison. And so when you come out and you haven't addressed any of that stuff, the traumas and all that crap 
it's just going to it's just going to come back up in some other form at some other time because you ha- it's untreated trauma. Right. Right. Because they don't you know, it's all about money, Sean, and the Department of Corrections. You know, when I was there, they had a hobby and, and PIA for the inmates to go do you know, work on cars and auto body shops. I mean, they had all these different areas for them to go and do, you know, do a trade and something like that. But when the Department of Corrections was cut back on funds and money, they cut back on all that. They stopped it. And now it gives the inmate or the convict to go in the yard and nothing to do. Just walk the yard, play dominoes. That's all he has to do. So, you know, I mean, that the money has to do with a lot, you know, taking away programs. And like you said, I mean, the behavior, like a behavioral psychologist or something, it's all about money. They don't have the money. They won't, they won't do it. And these people aren't going to come in and do it for free. So in your experience, how many in, in all of the different facilities that you were in, how many of them had a private prison, uh, a, a prison industry in it that was, you know, that sprung up after the privatization where they were allowed to be for profit now? Um, you know, I know, I know, uh, uh, the federal system has Unicor. Um, I know the state of California, I know they were making license plates out of, uh, out of San Quentin. Yeah. How many, how many of Tol- those? Tolson State Prison. That, well, I was, when I was at Pelican Bay, that's where they do the optical, optical, our glasses, our eyewear, our lenses. They had an optical up at Pelican Bay, and those guys were, they were making some good money. The inmates up there, and that's where they, a lot of the opticals, that's where they did the eyes up there. And they might still be doing this to this day, but um, that's where it was. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's great for, for guys, you know, for them to be able to, to work in those things. But I mean, you really got to look at, uh, uh, look at that because I mean, that's another mechanism for incentivization for, for locking people up to begin with, you know, when, oh, absolutely. when you're, when you have a, 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 a corporation that's, that's making, you know, paying, paying an inmate, you know, pennies on the dollar. Well, okay. Let's just say you pay them a dollar an hour. All right. And how much are lenses and prescriptions? I mean, those are pretty expensive, you know, 300 bucks for a pair of glasses, you know, uh-huh. you know, it's so, I mean, and they're paying a dollar an hour. I mean, just, it's just crazy. It's crazy how that was allowed to happen. Um, what else? There was one more thing that I wanted to, to touch on. Um, so the, I don't know. There's this one uh, prison uh, riot scene that always gets played. I don't know if the, you know which one I'm talking about. They were all on the yard and they're doing. Was oh, that what it was? And there you just see guys stabbing each other and yeah. just just chaos going all over the place. Was that Pelican Bay? Yep. So Pelican were, Bay. That was the biggest riot they had in, there. Were you ever? I wasn't actually there. I already left. What, were you ever involved in anything like? Has anything like that ever popped up around you, or where you got were involved in, um, or had to uh, uh, help stop? Oh yeah, several of them. Corcoran, Calipatria, Pelican Bay. I was. I saw riots. I saw inmates running into other inmates with knives and stabbing each other. And then we were told to put our backs to the wall because the gunners will do their job. The gunners will lay the yard down with smoke or whatever until the yard quarrels and the inmates are laid down in a prone position. Us officers are not trained to run into a into a riot like that. But those guys did. Those officers were running into that riot with pepper spray. That should have never happened because some officers can seriously get stabbed. You know, you don't know if they're set up, they're going to attack them. But we were trained just to put our backs to the wall and let the gunners do it. You know, that's and until the yard's completely down and, and calm, then we go in. 
and uh, restrain them and move them out. Yeah, I had one experience um, almost uh, when I was in high desert in uh, in Nevada. And it was a situation where one race, uh, you know, the whites and the blacks are going to go at it or whatever. And it it was or possible that it was going to happen. And like, there's no option. You you don't have an option as an inmate. And you're like, if you're with the whites or whatever, and something like that's going to happen, mm-hmm. you have no choice. You have to go out. If you don't go out, then it's you that's going to get it. And I remember I, I was, I was out on the yard and I was like, fuck man, I don't want to do this. You know what I mean? It's just because it's like, I I don't, I don't agree with any of that crap, you know? And, uh, but I I had to, and I gotta tell you, man, I was so scared because you're on a yard and it's like, they're, you're facing off, they're facing off shit's getting passed around behind you, you know, and the guards are starting to get aware of what's happening and it didn't happen, but whoo. It's, it's scary. It's actually scary because you as an inmate or a convict, you don't know if you're going to be carried off in a body, body bag or, or come out alive. It's like, it's like gladiator fights. These guys yeah. are like, you guys are going at it with each other with inmate matter, fetter, shanks, you got soap and socks, using it as a sap, swinging it. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a free for all. It's great. It was it was crazy, man. I uh, I definitely had to go check my uh, shorts when I got back to the unit. <clears throat> I was scared for sure. Hey, Sean, um, I, I, had, I might have to cut this a little short because uh, I, I just got a phone call by my wife. She knew it wants me to pick her up. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Been, no, it's, no worries. It's been great, man. It's. I, I'm, uh, this is one of the best podcasts I've ever did. I mean, I'm relaxed, you know, because some of the other podcasts is like sort of tense, you know, but this, this is, this is like relaxed to me, you know, it's an easy conversation, man. Uh, it, it helps that I, I understand where you were and, 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 you know, some of what goes on there to, to make you it. Shoot me, shoot me, shoot me an email with your address and all that. And I want to get this, get a book out to you. So you have something you can, uh, you know, read when you can, and, and it's it's powerful. Yeah, absolutely. We will do that. Uh, go ahead and plug whatever you need to plug real quick uh, for your book. I'll have all right that information here. on the uh, on the website as well, and it's available. Are you? Do you have your own uh, sources that you want them to go f- buy through instead of the uh, the major? You can you can go to just Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. And if you know, Sean, if if they were to Google my name, DJ Vodka, the Green Wall on on a Google, oh, you'll see thousands of stories about my stories and where to go and. I just really appreciate the time you took during your day to bring me on. Yeah, no worries, man. And uh, I'm definitely probably going to have you on again, and I will try and get you out to some other shows. Also, I want you to do the – I'll send you the information for the uh, for the summit. That way we can uh, schedule that in there. And uh, yeah. let's uh, let's get this book into everybody's hands, man. I think it, it if it is what it is, man, I, it, it, it should be read. Uh, people should know what's going on. And I am definitely one that will always amplify the signal of somebody who's blowing the whistle on on corruption or things that aren't right. So got a friend of me, bud. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. Have a good one. All right. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. 
You've been listening to the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. Sean is a single dad, a union blue-collar guy, and he spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. When he was released from prison in 2006, all he had was the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and some paperwork. Since then, he's turned his life around and shares the struggles and successes on this podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we hope you were moved to connect to the show. Book a guest spot. For merch, Patreon, PayPal, and social media links, go to linktr.ee slash nowhere to go but up. On Instagram at nowhere to go but up now. On Twitter at but up now. On the YouTube channel at nowhere to go but up podcast. See you next time.